Welcome to All About Accents, a podcast covering everything you ever wanted to know about accents and dialects. If you're an actor, voice actor, or just interested in learning more about different ways of speaking, sit back and enjoy learning. I'm Danny Morse-Cop, linguist and accent coach. And I'm Lucas Morse, supportive partner and linguistic guinea pig. In this episode, Lucas and I are making lots of silly sounds trying to understand what our speech muscles are doing to produce consonant sounds. We encourage everyone who's listening to join us in this exercise and think about how you pronounce certain sounds. This exercise can be quite difficult, especially if, like most people, you've never thought about what your facial muscles are actually doing when you speak. So don't worry if you're finding it hard. Just have fun feeling your tongue move. Okay, so now that we have a good idea of what the most important things are that we need to think about when we start learning a new accent, I want to do a little exercise with you that will make you very aware of what you're actually doing physically when you create or when you produce sounds for speech. Is this, does that sound okay? Sounds great. Yeah. Let me have it. Cool. Okay. So basically this exercise that we're doing today is just making a bunch of sounds and really thinking about what you're actually doing with your tongue and your lips and your mouth to achieve those sounds. So it'll be a lot of kind of thinking about things that you never think about when speaking naturally. And this is for a good reason, because if we had to think about how we produce sounds, we couldn't speak as quickly as we do normally, right? So today we're going to take a step back and really think about what we do, because this way you're kind of gain an understanding of what your muscles are normally doing when you speak. And then having that understanding is helping you to start learning new movements and new muscle actions for your new target accent, basically. I always do this exercise early on with my clients because it also kind of um, is useful for me if my client can describe what's happening inside their mouth because I can't see what's happening with their tongue inside their mouth. So they need to be able to articulate what they feel they're doing so I can kind of guide them into doing something else for the new accent, basically. So this is what we're going to do today as well. Something that I always do with my clients. It's kind of making a bunch of silly sounds and having fun with it. Uh, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love for that? silly sounds. Let's, cool. let's rock it. Awesome. Cool. So the first thing I want to talk about is um, how spoken language actually works, how speech works. And this is here. Um, I have this picture and I'll put this in the show notes as well for people to look at. Just kind of showing a person from the side and, and what kind of tools we have to make speech within our mouth. So you can see the tongue and you can see other things. We'll talk about that in a second. The basis of it is breath. So if you kind of just breathe in and breathe out, nothing really happens. That is just breath right um we can if you look at this picture again you can kind of see that we have kind of two places where breath can go so we can either let it out through our mouth and that's breathing out through our mouth or we can let it in through our nose and or out of our nose as well and say can you do that and feel how the air will go into your lungs just by a, a different route when you do that Nice. See how we have this kind of connection, basically, that connects our nasal cavity with our oral cavity. So our mouth with our nose, and but both of them basically can connect in the throat and go into our lungs. If we just breathe, that's just breath that leaves our mouth or our nose. But with speech, basically what happens then is that we obstruct the airflow, um, the air that comes out of our mouth or our nose in different ways and different places. And that makes different sounds in the end. 
And then one more thing we can add to that is um, you can see the two blue lines that I have here in the throat on the picture. That's our vocal folds, and that's the two kind of most important muscles for, for speech. Um, these are basically two muscles that are very close, like parallel muscles that vibrate to kind of allow the voice to escape at the same time as the air that leaves our mouth. So we can kind of add however much voice we want to add or however much air we want to add, and then we obstruct that sound wave or the airflow in different places in different ways, and that makes different sounds, and those together then create spoken language basically so that's what happens here um, i want to talk a little bit more about these tools that we have to to kind of obstruct that airflow in a different way um, the main one being the tongue so this is what people know they move around when speaking but you can kind of use that in combination with anything else inside your mouth so if you want to put your tongue right behind your teeth you'll feel that there's where, that's where the gums are about to start yeah so that's the um, right behind your teeth if you go a little further back you'll feel your palate become very hard. That's the hard palate, very bony in the top of your mouth. And then if you go further back, as far back as your tongue tip can reach, <laughs> you will feel it becoming a little softer again towards the back. That's the soft palate or velum in linguistic terms. And then you could even go further back, not with your tongue tip, but you can feel or see, that's something we can see if you open your mouth very wide, is the uvula. So that's a dangly bit in your back. So you can combine your tongue in different places with these with all these different things in your mouth, basically, and that makes different sounds. We'll see that in a second okay. as well. We also can use our teeth for certain things. We can use our lips as well. And then, like I said, we can use our nasal cavity as well. So there's lots and lots of stuff we can use to make sounds. So yeah, we're going to make a few sounds today, focusing on the consonants and what, what happens when we make different consonant sounds. And then next time we can look at the vowels and see what's happening with those. Yeah. So the first thing I want to do is we'll basically do a few sounds. We'll make a few sounds and we'll start at the front of our mouth and then work our way back. And what I want you to do is just kind of make the sounds and be really aware of what exactly you're doing with your mouth to make those sounds and how they're different. And while you and I are making these silly sounds together and kind of figuring out what we're doing with our mouth, everybody who's listening should feel free to do the same exercises with us and kind of be aware of what you're doing normally with your accent. It might be a little different and you might use your mouth in different ways than what we do, um, but hopefully hopefully, making the same sounds that we're doing at the same time as we are doing it will allow you to have fun with us and be silly with, with the two of us at the same time, kind of learning how, how you use your speech muscles, basically. So the first three sounds I want you to make are a P as in P, or a B as in B, and then an M, as in me, what do you do differently for p, b, and m? P, b, me. So with p, 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 I'm using my lips and I'm pushing. P, p, I'm using more air than I am with the b. I mm -hmm. think p, b, b. So the p feels stronger mm -hmm. on the lips, like with the force of air coming out to me than the b does. Mm -hmm. And then the me, there's longer contact between my lips, me, me, and I'm pushing air out of my nose, me, almost humming to make the, the M sound. Lovely, exactly, very, very good. That's really good description. The listener, please feel free to, to, to make the sounds yourself and kind of see how you would describe what Lucas just described very nicely, how he makes those sounds. Yeah, so that was a really good description of what these sounds are doing. So with P and B, what we're doing with those is what um, basically we're closing our lips completely. And that 
builds up the air right behind our lips and then we let that go in an explosive sound so it makes a tiny little p or b sound it's just we let go the air and it's a little bit harsher a little bit more air coming out with a p than with a b um, we call these sounds plosives because they are explosive um, some people also call these stops because we kind of stop the airflow for a second for a millisecond whereas the m like you said we close our lips completely and we don't build up the airflow but instead now the air has to go somewhere so we'll push it through our nose so we call this a nasal sound because it goes through our nose um, and leaves our nose it's not a lot of air but it's especially that vibration from our vocal folds that will leave our nose and you can kind of test that very nicely when you say an mm sound and then close your nose while you say the mm sound, you'll find that it's impossible to make that sound. Mm. See? Mm. Mm. Immediately yeah, okay. closes it up. So that's a very nasal sound, right? right. Um, so that's just three sounds we can make in the English language that um, we just use our lips. We don't even use our tongue yet. And there's lots of languages that can make those sounds and even more. So if you go a little further and we use our tongue now, we put it between our teeth. So using our teeth and our tongue, we can make a very English sound. That's the th sound in a word like thing. Or uh, similarly, also we have a the sound in a word like the, the old English word the. If you want to try saying those and feel what you're doing with your tongue when you say thing or think. Thing, think. So my tongue, my tongue protrudes between mm -hmm. my nice. teeth. Nice. And I'm pushing air between the top of my tongue and my teeth nice. think, think. Yeah. and then to finish the word i pull my tongue back in and proceeds yeah. from there exactly yeah we're just exactly thinking about the th sound here exactly nothing else so that's really good yeah we call this a fricative we had so with plosives and nasal this is a fricative sound because we basically create a tiny little gap between our teeth and our tongue and we push the air through that gap and that creates the th sound we can make that as long as we have air we can make until I don't have any air anymore. So it's creating some friction. Exactly. That's why. Fricative. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is a very um, rare sound across spoken languages. Not very many languages have that. P and B are very, very frequent. Whereas the or th don't occur in many languages. English is one of them. Especially in Europe, there's just a few more. Like I think Greek has it. Spanish has it a little bit. Um, and Icelandic, but that's about it. So very often non-native speakers have to learn this sound. And it's kind of hard because your tongue needs to come out of your mouth between your teeth. And if you don't naturally have that stretch because you don't need your tongue outside your mouth that much in your language, it takes a little bit of practice to stretch your tongue all the way up. So yeah, moving on, this is just between our teeth. We can move a little further back. Uh, and this is where the gums start behind our teeth. Now we can make a sound are different many different sounds we can make sounds like t as in t n as in knee and z as in z what if what happens if we say those t knee z so t t um tongue is just behind the top of my teeth just behind my teeth against my i think it's a hard palate we call this the alveolar ridge alveolar so it's ridge. not quite the hard palate yet but it's right behind your teeth mm -hmm. okay so the alveolar ridge, and then I build up air, and then I let the air go to nice. make the T. It's a plosive again, plosive. just like P. Okay. Exactly, very good. And then for knee, I'm using my nasal mm -hmm. cavity to let air out my nose while I pin my tongue to the same place. Knee, very good. kind of humming through that same way. Mm -hmm. And then z, for the z sound, z, my teeth are 
I like grinning almost. Zzz, mm-hmm. My teeth are almost touching. Zzz, and I'm pushing air while also making using my vocal cords to make sound. Very good. So I guess yeah. it's not just the pushing the air out. But making a yeah, making sound with it as well. Awesome. Yeah, you're. This is another distinction I was going to mention here, but you you came to that naturally. To thinking about that, that's really good. So we have a z sound there. You can also make a s sound, like the snake hissy sound. And if you touch your throat when you say s and z, you can feel that vibration that you add on the z, but not on the s. Um, so that's what we call a voicing. So that's a, a z sound is a voiced sibilant or a voiced fricative. And the S is an unvoiced one or a voiceless one. So you can kind of touch your throat and really feel your vocal folds vibrate. It's really, it's kind of cool how we can add that. Makes it a, makes it a different sound, exactly. Lovely, very good, yeah. Um, if you move a little further back still, um, and this is now kind of going towards the heart palate, and you say a word like you or year, what happens with the y sound there? You, e, you. Um, this one's harder for me to pin down, but I don't know why. So it's almost I'm making an e, e, like I'm saying the letter e, mm-hmm. e, e. See how it's kind of it's, it's almost like a vowel, right? It's not it's not as as clear. The movement is not as clear as with a t or an s. The tongue basically just kind of lifts in the middle of your mouth and goes towards the top of your mouth. It doesn't touch anything, it just gets close. So we call this an approximant because it kind of gets close to your to, to the articulators or to, to whatever you want to get closer to, but it doesn't create any closure or enough of, enough of a gap to actually push air through, make a fricative sound. Um, and this is also approximants like this, we sometimes also call semi-vowel because it's almost a vowel. It's not quite a consonant, it's not quite a vowel. It's this kind of in-between where it's just a, a little bit of movement, but it's not very intense. So okay. that's a yeah sound, very good. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint those. Exactly. Very nice. Lovely approximants. Um, going a little further back here, and that's where we come to the soft palate, um, or the velum. We call this the velum as well. We can make lots of different sounds here in English as well. We can make a k as in key, or an ng as in king. Um, and then also a nice Scottish sound that's the ch as in loch. Uh, can you say these three sounds? I can try on the last one anyway. <laughs> so, key, king, and loch. So again, k, k, key. There I'm using the back of my tongue against the the roof to block the sound and then releasing it. Lovely. K, king. For king, uh, same place with the back of my tongue or top mm-hmm. of my tongue maybe. Um, pinned against the back of the roof of my mouth and then mm, using the nasal cavity again to push air out through my nose to make that sound. Exactly. Mm. Nice nasal, exactly. And that then loch is the same same place, back mm-hmm. of the tongue against the, the roof of the mouth, but they're letting just, a, just enough air through between my tongue and mm-hmm. the, the roof of the mouth to force air out and make mm-hmm. that kind of raspy sound. Nice, exactly. So again, we have k is a plosive, the ng in king is a nasal sound, and then the ch in loch is a fricative. Um, all at the same place, we can make different sounds again. It's really cool. Very often people who are not from Scotland or speak other languages have a really hard time with that ch in Scottish place names or in, in words like loch. 
um, because they don't have it. So very often when Americans first try to do it or English, like people from England try to say a word like that, they go for lock and they say a K and that makes a lot of sense because that's the closest thing they have in their sound inventory. So this is uh, the closest they have is a K. So they go for that. Um, they just need to push it a little further to make it a fricative and then they will be there with the H sound as well. But it's hard at the beginning if you're not used mm. to that. English doesn't go much further back than this in the throat. Other languages can go further back. So learning Swiss German, you know that we have the H sound, which is not quite the Scottish H sound. It's a little further back. Um, so it's kind of really in your throat saying H. It's kind it's of like clearing your throat. Clear <laughs> exactly. <some> exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We have lots of those in Swiss German that are very strong, like when we say Hochichastli, um, very, very strong sound, right? Um, kitchen cupboard is what that means. It's kind of a fun word to say in Swiss German. It's a lot of work. Exactly. So that clears up your throat. It's a lot it's of nice. work anytime you need somebody to go get in the cupboard. <laughs> I know. Well, I love it. Um, other languages like Hebrew or Arabic are also, they have lots of sounds in their throat like that. Um, or French can use the uvula when they say the R sound. So they say R. Uh, so rouge for red. R, that's using your uvula to kind of hmm. make that fricative or that, that trill. Um, but English can do one more sound, especially here in the UK, that is way, way back in your throat and sometimes hard to feel when you don't natively have that sound in your language. And that is if instead of a T, I use what we call a glottal stop. And this is instead of saying better or better, I would say better or I say letter or I say glottal instead of glottal. Um, this is uh, basically what happens between our vocal folds. We have a little gap that we call the epiglottis. Um, and that one we can kind of open and close uh, like, like anything else in our mouth. We can make a tiny little plosive basically all the way down in our throat. And that creates that little pause in our throat. It doesn't make a huge sound like a P or a T does, but it's the same kind of concept, but it's in our throat. So we say better. Can you try using the glottal stop in that and say Scottish? Scottish. So, so, and my accent say Scottish. Mm-hmm. Scottish. Scottish. Mm-hmm. Scottish. Nice. Scottish. Very good. Yeah, lovely. Um, so this, again, if you don't have that natively, it can be really hard to, to use that or learn that because so far back, you can't see it. You can't feel it almost. It's such a kind of tiny sound. It's hard to kind of really feel how to manipulate your vocal folds that way. Um, but very often for people who are struggling right now making this sound in a word like Scottish, um, you probably have it in a word like uh-oh, say uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> see how you have the glottal stop there as well. So even like American English doesn't usually use lots of glottal stops, so we, you can't say better in an American accent, but uh-oh will exist in American mm-hmm. English. So this is kind of a nice first way to kind of learn about glottal stops if you have a hard time using it in other places. But this is a very common sound all across the UK, especially here in Scotland, people love using glottal stops and it's... I love it. It's it's good fun. Much more much more effective or efficient, energy and time efficient than saying better. Like the T that takes a lot of movement from your tongue, but saying better just in your throat that's such a nice short sound. So much easier. And humans love taking shortcuts anywhere. But if you can save time or energy, humans will do it. So this is kind of just part of that. Human languages do that as well. Kind of be take, taking it easy basically. <laughs> Um, I want to show you just one more consonant. There's lots more that happens that we really didn't talk about, but I want to show you one more. This can be kind of in different places depending on your accent, um, and that's the R sound. So if you want to say a word like rear, rear, 
What do you do with those R's? Rear. I don't know. <laughs> this one's a bit tougher as well. Er, so kind of like with a U, my tongue is kind of back in my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, instead of having er, my mouth's much more closed. Er, my tongue at the tip, the tip of the tongue's also up a little bit and then back up. Er, er, it doesn't really matter actually there. Er, rear. Er. This is again, like you said, like the Y. Yeah. The Y, basically. It's an approximant as well in that it kind of goes back and it doesn't really touch anything, especially the tongue tip. It's just kind of loosely in the middle of your mouth, probably, right? Yeah. It can point up a little bit, point down, but it doesn't really touch anything. It's just kind of that movement of going back is what the er sound in American English is doing, this approximate er in the back. In other accents, you can do many different versions of an R. So in Scotland here, we have two different types. So we can say that er sound in the back. It's a little different, but we can say use that approximate here in Scotland as well, or we can use the r sound, that is uh, what we call a tap, and that's the same place as a T or an N. So if you say something like very in a Scottish accent, very in American English, say very, see how the tongue tip just kind of goes to the front of where the T and D would be and just kind of flaps once. You want to try saying that very. Very. Nice, very good, yeah. So that's just a little tap that we use there. Um, there's also other stuff if you think about an, an English person um, saying rear, they would say rear and see how that second R isn't even there anymore. So that's another thing that happens. Some people drop some consonants in some places um, and that's kind of good for this exercise. Basically, I always want my clients just to know themselves a little bit better and kind of know what they're normally doing with their accent and, and their tongue movements basically when speaking and then based on that we'll kind of move into different directions um why the focus on your own why the focus on your own we need to know your muscle habits the way they currently are to then change it into something else we need to know where you start we need to know what are your r's normally doing or your t's um do we maybe need to put them in a different area of your mouth or a different movement Uh, it's just kind of how far start where you exactly where you're at so you know how far you need to go Exactly. And how to get there. So it makes sense to understand what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So this is just the consonants. Uh, I think this was enough for today. But I want to go over the vowels next time as well and see what's happening with the vowels because they are um, the ones that change a lot, especially in, in different English accents. We talked about that last time, I think. Vowels are the big thing that changes from accent to accent in English. Uh, consonants do to some extent, but vowels are the big one you need to kind of focus on. So we'll t- cool. let's talk about that next time if that's okay. Sounds yeah. great. Lovely. Sweet. Thank you for making silly sounds with me today. Anytime. <laughs> Thanks for listening to All About Accents. If you enjoyed learning, please spread the word and leave a comment wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've not had enough, follow me on Twitter at Danny Morsecop. This podcast is produced by Danny Morse-Kopp and Lucas Morse, theme music created by Patrick Kopp.